We read God's word this evening in the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 8. The Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 8. This is the word of God. When he, Jesus, after the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Kingdom, when he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will, be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus saith unto him, See thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another, Come, and he cometh, and to my servant, Do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. And when Jesus was come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother laid and sick of a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and ministered unto them. When the even, and that is evening, when the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. And he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. 
And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? And when he was come to the other side and to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? And there was a good way off from them and heard of many swine feeding. So the devils besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said unto them, Go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine, and behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down a steep place into the sea and perished in the waters. And they that kept them fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coasts. Thus far the reading of God's holy and inspired word in Matthew chapter 8. May he bless the reading thereof unto our hearts. The text that we consider this evening is verses 16 and 17 of Matthew chapter 8. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, what an evening that was outside of the house of Peter, there in Capernaum. And what must it have looked like if we had been there in that home, and if we had looked out the window and out the door at the scene that was unfolding itself around us, as all manner of sick and diseased people and the demon-possessed themselves came to Jesus for to be healed. That scene outside of the door of Peter's house was a scene full of death and sickness and pain and sorrow and grief, a window into the world on this side of the fall. And there in the midst of that scene was Jesus Christ himself, the King sent by God, the King of the kingdom of heaven, the Son of Righteousness, with healing in his wings, the great physician, the light of the world, righteousness and truth, doing his work as the Messiah, healing them that were sick. Well, this is a text that presents our Lord Jesus Christ. In the book of John, there's that scene where the the Greeks 
come to one of Jesus' disciples and they say to one of Jesus' disciples, Sir, we would see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Well, that's the confession and that's the petition of the believer and the church throughout history. We would see Jesus. And by this word of God here, Jesus Christ reveals himself to us, opens up to our view his heart and his love and his mercy and his power and his pity towards the sick, towards the miserable, towards sinners. And thus we consider this text for our edification by faith in Jesus Christ. And it presents our Lord and Savior as the King. So in the theme of the sermon, the king heals the sick. And although we don't read the word king or the word kingdom there in Matthew 8, verses 16 and 17, the context, in fact, the context of the whole book is emphatically kingdom. A book, the gospel according to Matthew, uh, the theme of which is, uh, here's the king of the kingdom of heaven promised by God to the fathers, come in the fullness of time, who has established the kingdom by his blood. You see that kingdom idea in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Here's the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And the first description of him is son of David. Son of David. Matthew chapter 5 through 7, we call it the Sermon on the Mount. But when you read that uh, with kingdom in mind, you see kingdom everywhere. It was a sermon on the kingdom. And throughout this book, and the New Testament as a whole, we, we, we have that great and rich concept of kingdom, which we uh, intend to weave into the sermon before us. And what the text teaches us, in connection with Isaiah 53, that the inspired apostle Matthew cites, is it teaches us the nature of Jesus' coming. It teaches us the purpose of Jesus' coming as the king And it teaches us the effect that Jesus' coming has. The effect of Jesus' kingship that we see displayed in verses 16 and 17. So with that in mind, let us consider this text under the theme, The King Heals the Sick. Noticing in the first place the sickly scene. Noticing in the second place the wonderful healing. And noticing in the third place the powerful means. The powerful means. Well, the sickly setting, the sickly setting, and and that word sickly hardly does justice to the setting that night in Capernaum. Some of the details about the when and where, this is the city of Capernaum, uh, a place where Jesus was wont to labor and to preach and and, and to work. We learn in the text that he was at the house of Simon Peter, who was married, by the way, which is an interesting detail that is easily overlooked, but Jesus or Peter, Peter had a wife. In the, in the house of Simon Peter, and from the parallel passages, we learn that this took place the evening after the Sabbath day. Before this, during the Sabbath day, Jesus was in the synagogue ministering, and now the sun is setting, the Sabbath day is closing, and with the sun setting now, evening after Sabbath, we the the whole city, as it were came to the house of Simon Peter. And why were they coming? Well, because they heard that Jesus was there. 
And they had heard what Jesus had done. The wonders and miracles that this man from, from Nazareth had performed. The, the reports had spread throughout the city. And so once the Sabbath day closes, all of these people bring their sick and diseased and demon-possessed friends, relatives, co-workers, whoever it may be, to the house of Simon Peter. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. We, look, we, we read about that in the gospel accounts. This idea of demon possession. We don't read about it in, in the Old Testament, but once we enter into the book of Matthew, lo and behold, we find that there are uh, demon-possessed people, which is not a coincidence in connection when you consider the fact that it, the, the, Matthew has Jesus coming into this world and the reaction, as it were, of the kingdom of darkness to the coming in to this world of the king of the kingdom of heaven. Well, the, the idea of demon possession, at the time, some were under the control and influence of demons, of devils, of spiritual beings that belonged to the kingdom of darkness and the realm of Satan, who is the prince of the kingdom of of darkness, and it was a horrible condition. At the end of chapter 8, we read of these two in the country of the Gergesenes who came out of the tombs exceeding fierce. No one would get anywhere close to those two, exceeding fierce. Or think about that history when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration and the man who had a boy that was possessed with a foul spirit came to his disciples for his disciples to cast the spirit out. And they couldn't do it. And the details that the Bible gives us about that incident is horrifying if we step back and think about it. This man's boy, possessed with a demon, foaming and gnashing, and the foul spirit would throw him into the, into the waters and would throw him into the fires and things like that. It was a terrible, terrible condition. Not only them that were possessed with devils, but we read in verse 16, and healed all that were sick. All that were sick. So all manner of sicknesses and diseases. And now just consider some of the sicknesses and diseases that Scripture records for us in the New Testament. Palsy. Paralysis. Blindness. Deafness. Muteness. Lameness. And, and further as well. Conditions and diseases that were not necessarily visible on the outside, but was something very wrong within. You wonder if there had been a modern uh, Western medical doctor there with his clipboard out diagnosing all of these people, how many sicknesses and diseases he would have, been, uh, he would have written on that board. Lepers, maybe there were lepers there. But now put yourself in the home of Simon Peter. On this evening. And now open up the curtains of one of the windows and peek out. And what do you see in the dusk? Well, maybe you look out the window in one, one direction and you see uh, a man leading another man on the way to that door where you are right now. And this man is in rags and tatters. You can tell he's a beggar. He's been a beggar for so long he doesn't have a nickel to his name. And as it gets closer, you can see in his eyes 
that he's blind. He's never seen a thing in his life. You look, out, you look in the other direction out the window and you see someone whose behavior and convulsions and uh, just way of, uh, of moving uh, suggest one thing, that he's possessed with a devil and your insides wrench as you realize that that man is being led right to your house. You look in another direction and you see two guys carrying a cot and inside that cot is a man who's been paralyzed, uh, who was paralyzed the waist down the moment he was born. And other people are being led to Jesus who look fine on the outside, but they're so bowed over that you know that something is very much awry within. And so what happened is the ground outside Peter's door became a hospital ward. As though you have all of these beds and all of these sicknesses and all of these diseases. And it was not a pretty sight. It was not a pretty sight. I dare say that if we had been around and and had seen that happening, instinctively we would have wanted to make a wide berth around that whole area. We We wouldn't have wanted to get anywhere near that. It was it was messy. It was ugly. It was it was not pretty. And let us not sanitize the account. That's one of the dangers as we become more and more familiar with Scripture, and we read of things like demon possession, and we, we're, we're somewhat desensitized to it. You read that all the time, and, and so you, you kind of uh, read it casually. Or think about the birth of Jesus. That's an event that is... Uh, shamefully sanitized so much, the very birth of Jesus. And so around Christmas time when you go down the road, you see all of these pretty manger scenes and everything's warm and cozy. Everyone's got their finest clothes on and there's this, this warm, comfortable cradle here and everything's, everything's so, so shiny and pretty, etc., etc. But if we had been there when Jesus was born, it was, it was not that. And it did not look like that either. If we had been those shepherds that walked into the stable, we would have smelled something funny. Because here's a, it probably stank. It's a stable. We would have seen an ordinary looking young mother, Mary, with a baby in her arms. Normal looking, ordinary baby. Nothing special about him from a human perspective. Wrapped in ordinary swaddling clothes. And has a feeding trough for his crib. Don't miss the nature of Jesus coming. Don't miss the humiliation with which Jesus, the Son of God, came into this world. Do not sanitize that history and do not sanitize this history either that is before us in Matthew chapter 8. We probably would have been sick to the stomach if we had been there. But perhaps that betrays too high an estimation of ourselves. When we read about these people in misery, and we kind of stand aloof as though uh, we don't share in the misery of humanity on this side of the fall. The literal expression there in verse 16, healed all that were sick, 
healed all that had it badly. They had it badly. Somewhat of an idiomatic way of describing sickness. They have it badly. But let us be honest with ourselves. We have it badly. However well uh, we may be from a physical, bodily perspective, we share in the misery that belongs to humanity on this side of the fall. And, and we bring up the fall. Where did these sicknesses and diseases come from? If we had to trace these sicknesses and diseases uh, to their source, to the point in which they sprang into this world, the answer is the fall. And so the, the cause of sickness and disease, when you trace it back to the fall, is sin, human sin, our guilt as them that belong unto the uh, belong to Adam by nature. Now don't get me wrong, it would be a it'd be unbiblical to suppose that anytime someone gets sick or a disease or is born with infirmity, that the immediate cause is some, some sin uh, that this person has done or some sin that his parents have done. Jesus himself dispatched that argument with the man that was born blind. The disciples say, uh, Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents? Implied, someone did something wrong somewhere, whether this man or his parents, and that's why he was born blind. And Jesus says, neither, but that the works of God may be made manifest in him. The point is, when you trace all of the sicknesses and diseases to their source, you arrive at the fall and our fall into sin. And by nature, our misery is not, in the first place, bodily infirmity, but our misery is sin and the guilt of sin and the corruption of sin with which we are infected from the moment of our conception. What's worse? Leprosy or depravity? Corruption. What's worse, bodily disease or guilt and and deserving of punishment from the holy God against whom we have transgressed? We have it badly in and of ourselves. And that connection on a spiritual plane now Don't forget the words of Jesus in Matthew 9, verses 11 and 12. Setting, Jesus, having lunch, maybe dinner, but at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, Matthew 9, verse 11, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That is one of the the great points of Holy Scripture when it comes to the the mission of Jesus Christ. And it is a warning against uh, Phariseeism on our part. Phariseeism, uh, wherein we, we kind of stand with our arms crossed like this, 
as we look at others who are the real sinners, the big sinners, and we place ourselves and our estimation in a different category, as though we are any be- as though we're better, or as, or as though we had made ourselves to differ. The danger is to suppose that we are whole, instead of, to use the language of the Belgian Confession, acknowledging ourselves to be such as we really are. And these Pharisees felt no need for the great physician. And the great bitter fruit of Phariseeism is the despising of others. Luke 18, Jesus spake this parable to some that trusted in themselves that they were righteous, and that bitter fruit of legalism and works righteousness, they despised others, turned their nose up at others, looked down at others. Rather than suppose ourselves whole, let us acknowledge ourselves to be sick in and of ourselves. So that as we read in the gospel history of Jesus going to sick people, and Jesus receiving and healing sick people, people who had it very badly, we don't stand aloof as though we don't share in that, but rather we say, there am I in that wretched mass of humanity And for sinners, and for them that are sick, here is come Jesus. He came into this world to save guilty and corrupt people. This is a true saying worthy of all acceptation, says the Apostle Paul, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And there is healing. Wonderful healing by the king of the kingdom of heaven. Wonderful healing. Notice in the first place, regarding the the miracle here, notice in the first place that as all of these people are being led to Jesus, and remember that that sight was not pretty, As all of these people are being led to Jesus, including the demon-possessed themselves, notice what Jesus does not do. Jesus does not shut the door. He does not tell Peter, Peter, throw the bolt on that door. I'm not going to get near that with a ten-foot pole. Notice that Jesus does not shrink back. He doesn't flinch within him and shrink back. He actually goes towards, determined to heal Because that's his job. Because he is the Messiah. He is the great physician. And he goes to work out there amongst that hospital ward. And he casts out demons and casts out the evil spirits and they return home whole. He, Them that came blind, they go home seeing. Seeing color, seeing the faces of mom and dad for the first time. Them that came lame go back leaping as in heart, just as Isaiah said they would do when the Messiah comes into this world. Them that were paralyzed are restored to walking, and etc. Now the significance of that is taught us by the text when it says, verse 17, that Jesus did this, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, himself took our infirmities, and bear our sicknesses. And the inspired apostle there quotes 
Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. And that word griefs can be rendered sicknesses, and that word sorrows can be rendered uh, pains. And so the, the translation that we're given in Matthew here, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Now this raises some questions. What's Isaiah 53 about? Isaiah 53 is that great Old Testament prophecy of the coming servant of the Lord who would come in humiliation, suffering, and shame. It is the who hath believed our report. Who hath believed it? That when Messiah comes, he's going to come this way. And he's going to suffer. And he's going to be smitten and stricken of God and afflicted. That he's going to lay down his life and be put to death. The great chapter in the Old Testament describing the substitutionary atoning sufferings of the Christ. Well, in that chapter, you have this. Himself took our infirmities, our sicknesses, our pains, and bare our sicknesses. So the question is, in what sense does Jesus' healing that day fulfill a prophecy that concerns his substitutionary atonement? Well, what it teaches us in the first place is that when Jesus healed, and he did a lot of healing, when Jesus healed, he did not heal in a cold and disinterested and unfeeling manner as a kind of cold and clinical piece of work. But that when Jesus healed, there was burden there. He felt burden. He entered into the sufferings. He felt the pain. And he healed with mercy and sympathy in his heart. But there's a deeper connection and a deeper significance as well. What Isaiah teaches is that these, these sicknesses and diseases and pains that we have, which are the consequences of our fall into sin, that because of the Messiah's atoning work, Jesus would deliver us from the consequences, from those consequences of sin as well. Because things like sickness and disease belong to the umbrella of death. Sickness partakes of death. Disease partakes of death. The great consequence for sin. The wages of sin is death. And so the healing of them that were diseased and sick testify the removal of the consequences for our sin in Adam. Which is death. I will return to that in a, in a bit. But before that, one of the significances as well of this history in connection with the kingdom of heaven. When we read these passages about Jesus healing the sick, or Jesus healing a leper, or Jesus healing a blind man, or Jesus healing someone, someone that was lame and paralyzed, often our first line of interpretation, and it's not wrong, but often our first line of interpretation is to say, 
uh, is to apply the spiritual reality that is signified by the physical healing. So when Jesus heals someone that's blind, we say that is a, that is a sign of how Jesus heals us from spiritual blindness and opens our eyes to behold the face of God in Jesus Christ. Or when someone is healed from paralysis in Scripture, to interpret it in such a way, this signifies the spiritual reality that Jesus restores us to walking in the ways of God. That's true. That's a proper interpretation of the miracles. But also, step back and think big. And when you see things like the healings and the casting out of demons, and the lame leaping as in heart, and the blind seeing, think big and read there and interpret there a flashing forth into the here and now of the kingdom of heaven that God promised throughout the Old Testament. As it were, it is a flashing forth of the new in Jesus Christ. The fullness of which will be the new heaven and the new earth when Jesus comes again. But already in the here and now, it breaks in, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Consider, go all the way back to Genesis 3 verse 15. Genesis 3.15 and... Because the Belgic paraphrases that, uh, we'll paraphrase that. God saying to Adam and Eve, fallen into sin. I'm going to send my son. He's going to deliver you from sin and death. He's going to uh, not just undo the effects of the fall, but he's going to raise things up and restore things to an even higher level. Even greater than paradise the first before the fall. And throughout the Old Testament, God promises the coming Messiah and the kingdom that he's going to to usher in. uh, That is not a kingdom of sin and death, but righteousness and life and newness and everything restored and peace and no more consequences of our fall into sin. So all throughout the Old Testament, God is promising this. Book of Matthew. Here he is. He's come. The king is on the scene. The Messiah, the Son of God, in the flesh, is on this earth. And what do you see happening? You see the kingdom of heaven warring against the kingdom of darkness. And Jesus casting out evil spirits and and tearing down the works of Satan. You see Jesus undoing the very sicknesses and diseases that came with the fall. and, And delivering people from them and restoring them from those effects of our sin in Adam. It is a flashing forth of the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 12, verse 8. Matthew 12, verse 28, rather. Matthew 12, verse 28. Very significant text in this connection. And the setting here, the context is the Pharisees charging Jesus and saying, you're doing this by Beelzebub. When they said, this fellow, does, this fellow does not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus dispatches that false 
claim on the part of the Pharisees. But then he follows back and, and he returns with this in verse 28. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. Saying these things that you are seeing, they testify of one thing, and that is this. The kingdom is here in the person of the king, Jesus of Nazareth, the incarnate son of God. And what a way in which Jesus came. What a way. What a manner. What a condition in which Jesus came into this world, the Messiah. That defied the expectations of the Jews, many of the Jews, who thought the Messiah would come uh, with great earthly pomp and splendor and majesty, uh, a white knight, say, with a massive army that would deliver Israel from the hand of the Romans and restore the nation to a place of preeminence amongst the Gentiles. God uh, turns over the wisdom of the wise. God, God works in ways that human reason and human expectation counts folly and foolishness. And Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger. A helpless baby who needed his mom uh, to eat. You have Jesus, all of his, his ministry on earth. Isaiah 53, he grew up before us as a tender plant. There was nothing overall, if you looked at him from a human perspective, nothing uh, extraordinary that would signify Messiah in his appearance. And what a way in which he came. Isaiah 53 makes very clear who hath believed our report that Messiah should be crucified. That Messiah should be nailed to a, a Roman cross as one of the guiltiest evildoers on the planet between two malefactors and should suffer shame and humiliation and mocking and scorning and being smitten on and blood being pressed out of him by the hands of the ungodly. Who hath believed our report? From the moment Jesus came into this world, we read in John 1 that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He pitched His tabernacle among us. He pitched His tabernacle right into the midst of this fallen, sinful, corrupt, ugly, messy, dirty, muddy trench. Right in the middle. A, com a coming that culminated with Jesus' death on the cross. And why the cross? Because Jesus is the King. And because He came to save His people from their sins. He came to restore righteousness and eternal life uh, to His guilty, corrupt people. He came to bring them peace that we forfeited by our fall in Adam. He came to heal us. Not in the first place from our bodily sicknesses, although that's coming. But He came to heal us from our sin. And that required that the Messiah himself should be judged for sin in our place. And that Jesus himself, having taken upon himself the guilt of our iniquity, 
should pour out his life as an offering for sin unto God in heaven and satisfy the justice of God against our guilt. And he did it. He finished it. He did exactly what God sent him into this world to do. And with him, the whole way, God was well pleased. The Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised because of our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. That's how Jesus heals us. With his stripes. Because of the the work that Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross, because of the blood that he poured out unto death for our salvation, we are healed. Healed of our guilt. Healed of our uh, being by nature in bondage to sin and the devil. We are set free by the law of the spirit of life. And all them that believe in this Jesus find in him everything necessary to their salvation. It's all in him. It's all in the Messiah. All procured through his bitter sufferings and death on the cross. And now I want to uh, lay upon you what is yours in Jesus Christ by faith in him. What What are your privileges as a believer? What have you received as them that Believe in Jesus Christ. It's as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's all yours. Everything that he did, everything that he obtained, it's all yours as a free gift. The kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is now. Already in this life, present. And you belong to it. Yours is the kingdom of God. All your sins are forgiven. You are justified by faith in Christ and an heir of eternal life. As regards, uh, by nature, we are uh, dead in trespasses and sins. In Jesus Christ, you are a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. You have been delivered from all of the power of the devil, we say, in Lord's Day 1. We are new and being renewed by the Spirit who conforms us into the image of the King in righteousness and knowledge and holiness. Now the kingdom of heaven is present. At the same time, there, is many, there are many things in this life that remind us that the kingdom of heaven is coming and that something more is on the way. What do we mean by that? Well, think about it this way. We are justified by faith in Christ. At the same time, our faith is weak and we struggle uh, with respect to uh, that reality. We are new creatures in Jesus Christ and yet, lo and behold, every day, what do we find? The same thing the Apostle Paul did, this sin that dwells in me, by reason of which the Apostle says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Death, death. Jesus came into this world to deliver us from death. We belong unto him by faith. What's death doing? 
around and in our lives. There's still sickness and disease. Well, believer, be of good cheer. Because whatever the sickness is and whatever the disease is, and even death itself, when one day we must face death, has no more sting, and has no more sting because of what Jesus did. There is no more punishment in the sicknesses and diseases for you as a child of God. Uh, there, is no, there is no satisfaction, no atonement, but uh, it's a present trial and tribulation that even itself must be subservient to our salvation. We have the victory over death. And one day, when Jesus comes again, with his stripes we shall be healed fully in body and soul. The resurrection of the body and the life everlasting that we confessed this evening when we recited the Apostles' Creed. A day when everything, all of the consequences that we brought in because of our sin shall be finally undone and everything raised up to the perfection in the new heaven and the new earth. No more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more sin, no more tears, no more suffering. The former things shall be passed away. Paradise the second. Far greater than paradise the first. And none that trust in Jesus Christ, no matter how sick, no matter how diseased, bodily or spiritually, shall be condemned. All that the Father hath given me shall come unto me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. Trust in him, and be of good cheer through Jesus Christ the Lord. The powerful means that Jesus uses, that he used then and that he uses now, the word. And there again, how God chooses foolish things. Foolish in the eyes of the world. Think about what the world thinks about us gathering together Sunday after Sunday to hear a man who's just like we are uh, preach the word of God that he's given us in this book. That's foolishness in the eyes of the world. But the great means whereby Jesus Christ operates The word we do find in Matthew 8, in several places. Chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus spake. He said, I will be thou clean. In Matthew, uh, later on in the passage, the centurion acknowledges, Jesus, just say the word. You don't have to come to my house. Say the word and he will be healed. So he, he knew uh, something about the power of Jesus' word. And you see it elsewhere as well. And you see it in the text when, he, when it says in verse 16, and he cast out the spirits with his word. So if we were there at Peter's house at that time, we would have heard, we would have heard the word. We would have heard Jesus saying to one, uh, come out of him, you unclean spirit. And saying to the other one, rise up and walk. And saying to the other, see And what the text teaches us is that Jesus' word has an effect. 
Jesus' word accomplishes what it purposes to do. It does not return unto him void. It is effective to the accomplishing of what Jesus intends. And that shouldn't surprise us when you remember that this Jesus is the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity who fully shares the divine being, incarnate, who is speaking. Think Genesis 1 when God spake, let there be light and there was light. He called the things that were not as though they were. Called things into existence out of nothing. That's some power. Or look in, at the end of Matthew 8 and in Mark chapter 4, the parallel, when Jesus stills the waters. You have the Sea of Galilee that's just roaring and the wind is great. The disciples think they're going to die. In unbelief they cry out, save us, we perish. Jesus says, he rebukes the wind and the, and the seas. He speaks the word and everything calms. Because the seas and the wind heard the voice of God. They heard the voice of the one who created them. And they obeyed. Well, still today, the word of Jesus Christ is a power. We read in Romans chapter 1, that the gospel of God is the power unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. The gospel is a power. It is effective. It, it, it accomplishes what God intends. And when it says to everyone who believes, do not suppose that our faith make, makes the gospel effective. Rather, the faith that God kindles in the hearts of his elect people is the fruit of the power of God. Is the effect of God's grace communicated by His Word and by His Spirit. Well, this is the great means whereby Jesus heals. By His Word and Spirit, He applies unto us all of the, or the benefits of salvation that He has purchased for us. And this is the great calling of the church in the midst of this world, is to proclaim the message of Jesus, King Jesus, who was crucified for sin and was raised again the third day. The official calling of the church is not miracles of healing. Besides the fact that uh, the miracles that we see being performed by Jesus and then later the apostles, uh, that was a special time in the period of the church. But besides that, that's not the official calling. Even to heal the sick, although we ought to have a regard for the well-being of our neighbor, not to love our, the neighbor with respect to his body too, that's not the official calling of the church. But it's to preach. It is for her to proclaim far and wide the gospel of Jesus Christ and the promise of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins and everlasting righteousness and salvation uh, freely given to all and every who believe in his name. Remember that as you look around in this world, on the face of this earth, or open up your news app, or get the newspaper in the mail, and you see sin and death everywhere. Sin and death. And even the world is scrambling to come up with something to, 
uh, to put a stop to this, to make things better? The answer is this gospel. The gospel whereby God uh, calls his elect children out of darkness into his marvelous light. Whereby he creates and confirms faith in Jesus Christ. Whereby he bestows the forgiveness of sins. Whereby he gives and makes people partakers of the hope of, uh, in life now and the hope of life to come. Heirs of eternal life and immortality through Jesus Christ. That gospel must not only be preached to them that are without, that gospel must be preached to us as believers gathered together by God's grace. Another important principle, never forget it. We never graduate from the gospel in this life. We never graduate from the gospel. There never comes a point in the Christian life whereby we say, uh, well, now we've got that uh, figured out and, and now we move on in our, in our Christian life. We need the gospel all through our pilgrimage here below. And in fact, uh, as we grow older and as we mature in Jesus Christ, we feel our need for the gospel more and more. What are we? Think about what we are in ourselves. Sheep that are prone by nature to going astray. Those who do not go one day without sin. Uh, those who experience the trials and afflictions of this present age. The sorrows uh, that make the soul downcast and cry out to God. The fold of the church is a place where the poor and the needy and the sick are healed. The fold of the church is not a museum of those who have arrived and are getting along just fine. But it is a hospital. It is a place where medicine is administered to the sick and to sinners, such as we are. And Jesus continues to be the great physician to us by his word and by his spirit. And now we'll just close by uh, reading some of the descriptions of who this Jesus is to us and for us. And how he continues to be physician to us. He does not break the bruised reed or quench the smoking flax. He binds up the brokenhearted and comforts all them that mourn. He gives unto them that mourn in Zion beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He applies to our heart that expression that we read, the balm of Gilead that he has procured by his blood. He gives to us that are athirst of the water of life freely. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we give thee thanks for thy mercy towards us in giving us Jesus Christ, the Son of thy love, in whom is all of our salvation, the forgiveness of sins, newness of life, and that blessed inheritance that we shall fully possess when he comes again. Sustain us in this hope and grant that we, in the midst of this veil of tears, 
with sin and death on every side and within us too, that we may daily trust in Jesus Christ and rejoice in the forgiveness of sins and in the gift of the Holy Spirit and in the victory that we have over death and the hope of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And cause this gospel to sound forth all over the length and breadth of this earth. Gather thy children out of the four corners of the earth and hasten the day of thy son's return when thy great purpose that thou didst decree from all eternity shall be fully consummated in the new heaven and the new earth in thy tabernacle with us thy people. Forgive our sins and hear our prayer. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.